Turn to the book of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 14, and there are Bibles underneath the, the seats if you uh, don't have one, and you can pull one out and uh, follow along with us. Luke is about, uh, I don't know, three quarters of the way through the Bible, and uh, it's one of the Gospels, and we have been taking a few weeks, or we are going to take a few weeks to just look at this, um, look at some snapshots from this particular Bible, or this particular portion of Scripture. And we chose Luke because in Luke we get a different perspective on life. As I mentioned last week, sometimes we go through life and we get um, used to things uh, from a worldly perspective. We just get caught up in the way everybody else lives and the way everybody else thinks. And um, and uh, we just go along with the crowd and we don't stop to say, see, are we thinking correctly in this particular situation or this particular circumstance? In our particular parable this morning, what we're realizing is that sometimes even as religious people, and I use that term advisedly, but sometimes as religious people, and then sometimes as Christians, we get stuck in a rut. And it's helpful for us to get a different perspective. And in this particular passage of Scripture, I think we realize that um, Jesus is not the kind of person that we would necessarily like to invite to a dinner party of ours. Because he always had something to say that generally shook people to their core. And where we are at today is Jesus is coming to a dinner party. And as he's interacting with the individuals, he's got some things that he just notices and brings to their attention. And if there's one thing that I want you to go away with before we look at um, some of these passages in detail, I want you to go away with the fact that there is this great banquet that has been prepared. That the kingdom of God has come to earth and it is here now. And that invitations have been sent out by the master of the banquet, God himself, inviting all to attend the banquet. Will you accept that invitation? Have you accepted that invitation to the banquet? As we begin this particular story, if we start at chapter 14, verse 1, we find that Jesus has been invited to a particular individual's house on the Sabbath day. That was the Lord's day for them, which was Saturday, Saturday after they had been to the synagogue. And it was a fairly fancy meal from all the accounts of the the words around him. And so as Jesus gathered to this house of this particular Pharisee, a ruler of the Pharisees, so a pretty highfalutin guy, um, they were all watching him. Because every time Jesus was around, he said stuff or he did stuff that um, caused trouble. And it didn't take long before they were watching Jesus and a man with dropsy came along and, and uh, they were all wondering, now what's Jesus going to do? We know it's wrong to heal somebody on the Sabbath. And I think, well, where do you get that from? But somehow they had figured out that it was work to heal somebody on the Sabbath. So they were watching Jesus to see what he would do on that particular day. They listened in silence as Jesus not only challenged their wrong-headedness, but they watched in silence as Jesus healed the man and made him whole. And they had nothing to say. And then you follow the, the, to the next little uh, part that's there. And Jesus begins to introduce this idea of a great feast. And a lot of people are gathered together and they're, they're, they're eating. And as they were looking at this great feast, Jesus um, uh, wondered, when we come to parties and we come to feasts, how often is it that we want to um, rise to the best place in the, in, the, in the feast? And so we like to sit closer to the person who, who's giving the feast. And we like to be seen with the, with the, with the best people at the party. And what Jesus says is that's a really dumb move because if you go to a party and you assume that you're going to sit here 
And it's, it's really a place that's been reserved for somebody who's better friends with the host. Then what's going to happen is somebody's going to come along to you and say, you know what, you ought not to sit here because that's reserved for Paul Hawks. And you better go and sit over here. Just kidding. And so what he's saying to these individuals at this point is you got to watch out for your pride. And in fact, he's saying to them, it's far better to be honored than it is to be humiliated. And so then he turns his attention to the host of the party. And he says to the host, rather awkwardly, and this is my paraphrase, he says to the host, so, so buddy, um, and he probably used his name, he says, who's on the guest list of this party? And it's pretty obvious who's on the guest list, but he says, is it filled with your friends? Is it filled with your relatives? Is it filled with your, with the, with your rich neighbors? People that you know are going to invite you back in return. And just as you've had them to your party, they're going to say, well, I'm having a party and I'm, and, and you're invited to my party. Or is your party filled with people who there's not a chance in the world that they're ever going to invite you back to their house? Because they might not even have a house. Or they might have so little food that they'd never be, be able to, to give you and your family a meal to eat at their home. It says, when you go to make up a guest list at your party, you should invite the crippled and the lame and the blind and the poor. Because when you invite them, you receive a blessing not only now, but in eternity. Thirdly, he speaks to a, an individual who's directly at this party. He's part of a group that's reclining around a table. And that's what they used to do in those days. And when they were rich, they, they would serve um, lavish uh, meals. And you would lounge around this low-lying table. You'd recline at the table and you'd enjoy the banquet. And this obviously is a rich enough Pharisee that he's got a bunch of people that are reclining around the table. And as they're reclining, I don't know what, what goes on in this one individual's mind, but he blurts out sort of, um, uh, sort of out of nowhere, Blessed are those who eat. At the banquet of the kingdom of God. And you think, where did that come from? I'm going to address that in a moment. Let's read the passage first. Because Jesus responds to him. And not in a way that we would expect. Starting at verse 15. He says, when one of those who reclined at the table with him. Heard these things. He said to him. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, Jesus. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I can't come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master, and the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes in the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. Father, we do come before you today and we come before you um, with hearts that I trust are, are willing to hear from you. Lord, we're distracted with all manner of things. Some don't really want to be here. Some are frustrated. Some are distracted by stuff that's happened in this past week or stuff that's coming in this week ahead. Father, I pray that you would work in the midst of our distractions, our frustrations, because we're listening to the eternal word of God. 
And I pray that you would soften our hearts. I pray that you would draw our minds towards you and that you would speak clearly to us because the perspective that you give this morning is one that we need to hear. And so speak, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this really begins with an assumption of a man that needs to be challenged. And I really don't know what the guy was thinking when he blurted out this statement, blessed are those who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. I wonder if at first point it was just an attempt to defend his friend. After all, his friend had been kind enough to invite everybody and Jesus had really insulted him. Jesus had said to him, you know what, you really haven't invited the right people to your banquet. And so this friend, maybe in defense, tried to shift matters from a physical banquet to the spiritual banquet, which we'll talk about in a minute. And so he blurted that out, blessed are all of those who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. I wonder, though, maybe it was also an awkward moment. All of us have been caught in those awkward situations. The Pharisees and the lawyers had been interacting with Jesus, and time and time again, Jesus had silenced them. They were left with nothing to say because they realized that Jesus was right. They realized that his assessment of their motives and the situation was bang on. And so there must have been an awkward silence again and again and again as as Jesus made his point. And some of you have been in those situations where you're in a room and, and, and somebody says something, then there's just dead silence. And, and you don't know what's worth, worse, to just sit around in that silence or to have somebody say something really dumb and break the silence. And that, I think, maybe is what happened here. This guy couldn't handle the, the, the silence that was there, and so he just blurted out this statement, blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Or it could have been a pious outburst by this individual. I think this is maybe the worst case scenario. Because as he was sitting at this banquet, everything that Jesus has said, he just ignored it. And it just went right over his head. And anything that Jesus had said to, 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 to reference them and the decisions that they had made, he just wanted to get out of them. And so he said, well, we're going to change the discussion here to things of spiritual matters. Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of heaven. This, he thought, was less controversial. Certainly, there's no discussion about who's going to be in the kingdom of God. Certainly, not, it's not up for grabs about who's going to be in heaven. Or so he thought. Because whatever was behind his motive, Jesus says, okay, we're going to have a talk about this thing. You bring up the kingdom of God. You bring up eternal issues. You bring up salvation, and I'm going to talk clearly about this. You see, the banquet that we're talking about here is really salvation. And salvation culminates at the end of history in a great banquet. That banquet is mentioned in Revelations chapter 19, and I think it's verse 9, where where John, the writer, says, Blessed is everyone who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you see, there's a whole group of people who want to go to heaven, they like the, the things that they hear in church and they like the biblical stories and they, they like the things that take place in church, but they've never embraced the king. They've never accepted his invitation to the great banquet and they are in great danger of missing that banquet. And so Jesus is really challenging the assumptions of the religious people. He's challenging the assumptions of those who think that they're in when they're not really in. 
And he begins by telling in this parable about a great provision that has been made. And I think I, I think it's important to at least say this much, that the great provision that I, ha, that I, that I think has been made is that God has done everything that is necessary for you and I to receive entrance into this great banquet. God has done everything necessary for you and I to receive salvation. There is nothing that you and I need to be do, that, that we need to do. He says that a certain man made a great banquet and invited many. I think that's the gospel. I think what, what Jesus is saying is that the gospel contains everything that one estranged from God needs to hear. God has provided everything that you and I need to partake of salvation. All we need to do is accept the invitation and receive salvation. The gospel contains everything that some that that sinners need in order to be right with God. Apart from God, we are naturally starving. We are lame, we are poor, we are crippled, we are helpless, we are outside of the provision of God. But Christ has provided or God has provided everything that we need for life and godliness. The forgiveness of all of our sins, peace with God, and so much more is made available for us at this great banquet. True, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. True, we are all dead in our sins and our trespasses. True, we are worn down by the weight of our sins and the voice of our consciences. But there is nothing that we can wish for or require which has not been provided by the the master of the banquet in rich abundance. Christ in one word is the sum and the substance of this great banquet. And so Jesus begins immediately by, by, by introducing into this parable Christ and the fact that God has made all the provision necessary for salvation. So as we come back then to this parable and look at it, we, we find that this guy had made this great feast and he'd sent out inv- invitations to everybody. And now it's time, the, the meat's been cooked, the table's been set, now it's time to go and say, come, it's all ready. And, and the initial acceptance had been, uh, had been made, the invitation's gone out, it's like a wedding invitation, it goes out and people say, yes, I'm coming. And then there's sort of a follow-up invitation that said, okay, it's all ready to go. This kind of double invitation was nothing unique in Middle Eastern time. But something absolutely out of character takes place. It would, be, it would be unheard of in those days for the kind of thing that Jesus now describes to have happened. The audience would have thought, this is absolutely ridiculous. Is Jesus giving us sort of a comedy routine? Nobody would ever snub the invitation of somebody who held such a banquet. Nobody would ever say, yes, I'm coming, and then at the last minute say, no, I'm not coming. And we read in verse 18, What was such a shock? It says, but they all alike began to make excuses. They all had a reason why they couldn't accept the invitation. They all had a reason why, okay, it's, I know it's there, but we're just not ready to come to this banquet. How do you say, I don't want to come to your party? Well, we find three of the most ridiculous excuses offered. The first individual, as the servant goes to him, uh, he says to him, and it's a bold-faced lie. He says to him, I bought a field, and I have to go check it out. Well, loved ones, 
I think it's not uncommon in our society, and it would certainly never happen in Middle Eastern society, that one would ever purchase a field sight unseen. Before they would even enter into the agreement to purchase the land, they would go out and they would walk it from one end to the other. They would note where the springs were. They would note where the wells were. They would note where the trees were. They would note where the fields were. They would ask who owned the land before, and they would talk to them and find out, did it produce well? They would get all the information about this piece of land before they entered in to agreement to buy that piece of land. There was not a chance that somebody would buy a field sight unseen. And he said, I bought a piece of land. I must go see it. Please excuse me from your banquet. What he is saying is that this field is more important than our relationship. And then the second individual, as the slave comes to him, he makes a, uh, an excuse which is also ludicrous. Because he says, I have bought five team of oxen, and I need to go test them out. Well, that's like saying, I bought five used cars, I paid for them, now I need to test drive them and see whether or not they really work. You see, in those days, that would never happen. If somebody had a team of oxen to sell, they would take them to the market, and beside the market, there would often be a field. And if somebody came along and inquired about the oxen and said, well, I'd like to buy your oxen, but I first want to test them out, they'd hook them up, they'd take them to the field, and they'd see if they were equally yoked animals. They would see if they could drive a straight furrow in the land. Or if that didn't work, what a guy would do is he'd say, you know what? In three Saturdays from now, I guess it wouldn't be Saturday for them, that would be the Sabbath, but in, uh, let's say, three Wednesdays from now, I'm going to demonstrate to you my oxen. And so anyone interested in buying my oxen, come and check them out. And so when that day came, a bunch of people who were interested in buying the oxen would come and they'd watch them. And they'd actually see how the animals worked. And if they worked well, then they would purchase them. But this man is just lying again. He's saying, I'm going to test them. This is, this is, what he's saying really is that my animals are more important than our relationship. And then a third person makes an excuse which is, which they would have found very comedic. And I don't mean to make light of it, but he would, he said to them, I, I can't come. I've just married a wife. And they'd go, and she won't let you come to the banquet because? their view of this kind of stuff would have made this excuse just a shameful excuse. And he's saying, my wife is more important than your banquet. You see, what Jesus is saying is there's this messianic banquet that has been prepared. And you all think that you've been, uh, you've accepted an invitation and you're in. But in fact, your behavior and your actions have demonstrated that you're far away from the kingdom of God. That you've all made excuses to not attend the banquet that has been set. It's not that they don't want to come. It's that they don't want to come right now. They've got other stuff that they want to do. They, they want to build their little followings. They, they want to build their little communities. They want to build their little kingdoms. And, and maybe another time when it's better, then they'll accept the invitation and they'll come. As Jesus continues with the parable, we find that when the Servant comes back to the master, he's angry. Justifiably so. Because these individuals have all snubbed his invitation with laughable excuses. Dear ones, what do you think God feels when he has set such an amazing banquet for us spiritually? 
when he has made such an extraordinary offer of salvation to us. He has sent his son to die for us. He has sent his son to give his life for us and to pay the penalty for our sin. He has sent his son to seal our invitation with his blood. And we make weak, laughable excuses about why we cannot enter into the joy of salvation. But this landowner, rather than getting angry, rather than becoming vengeful, exhibits absolutely extraordinary grace. And he says, okay, all of those who have been invited and have refused to come, we need to fill their spots. So he says to his servant, I want you to quickly go out into the city and bring in the lame and the blind and the crippled and the poor. This invitation is a stunning reversal. One that would not have been missed by the religious leaders. Remember, Jesus had just been saying to the man, look around you. Where are the lame and the crippled and the blind and the poor? They're not to be seen. They're nowhere to be seen at your banquet. And now Jesus is, now he's driving the point home and he's saying, okay, you guys won't come. We're going to go get those who have never been invited to a banquet to come. Go out and bring the outcasts and the marginal, the sinners and the publicans and bring them in to my banquet. And even after this is done, we find the servant comes back and he says, Master, I've done what you've asked, but there's still room. And so his master says, okay, go to the outsiders. Now, the the leaders would have recognized this right away. Those in the city, those those who were out in the city would have been the the unrighteous Jews, the, the unclean, the blemished, the sinners, the publicans who were still Jewish, but even the religious people didn't want anything to do with them. But now Jesus is saying in his parable, not only do you get the outcast from Jewish society, but you're to go get the Gentiles, those who are completely outside of our group of people, and you're to invite them to this great banquet. Go to the highways, the hedges, the well-traveled roads, the not-so-traveled roads. Find people, talk to them, compel them to come in to my great banquet. You see, many people need to be compelled because for so long they've been told that they're dirty. So long they've been told that they're unclean. So long they've got the hint from the religious that they're unacceptable. That until they make themselves acceptable and clean up their act, then they're not really welcome amongst the people of God. And for many of those people who who receive these invitations, and that's why there's an imperative, go out, bring them in, go out and compel them to come in. Many of those people who would have heard the invitations would have said, well, is this really a joke? Nobody invites a stranger to their banquet. Nobody invites somebody to come who can't repay the favor and do the same thing in return. Nobody has ever wanted anything to do with me. And now all of a sudden there's this great leader, this great king, this great ruler who's inviting me to their banquet. I'm not even a relative. I'm not even a member of that city. I don't know them from Adam. And so he says, no, you need to go and compel them to come in. Tell them that the invitation is real. Tell them that my banquet is ready. Loved ones, that is grace. That is the gospel. Grace says we don't need to do anything. Grace says we can't do anything. Grace says it's too good to be true. Grace grace says I don't deserve it. Grace says he can't really mean me, can he? Jesus says, go out in the parable and compel them to come in. 
I love this passage because it has stretched me, and I still don't know what I'm going to do with it. But it stretched me this week. Because what he's saying, he's saying, go out and compel people to come in. Go out and bring people in. Oh, why? Well, I think he might be saying, go to that classmate who has had three mums. And all the kids are making fun of her because she doesn't know who her real mom is. Tell her that Jesus loves her. I think he's saying, go to that student who brags about the wild parties on the weekend. And most Christians avoid them. Go tell them that Jesus loves them. That an invitation has been extended to them to come into the kingdom of God. He might be saying to us, go to those who have been rehabbed for three, four, five years and have not been able to kick the habit of drugs and alcohol. Tell them that Jesus loves them. Tell them that they are invited to this great party. Or, or go to that individual who's now living with the sixth person in their life. They've never married anyone. Tell them there's room for them. Tell them that the banquet is ready. Tell them that Jesus loves them. You see, Jesus is saying, you don't make the invitation list up. I do. And I'm so glad that I don't make the invitation list up. Because I would invite all the wrong people for all the wrong reasons. But Jesus says, go out to the streets, to the highways, to the byways. You just take the invitation and compel them to come in to the kingdom of God. See, as I reflect on this, and I'm helped along this way with the, at least the application points, but there's a warning to be heeded here. Loved ones, don't miss the fact that Jesus is talking to the religious people in this parable and in this particular setting. He says at the end of the parable, I tell you that none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus has now applied, I think, the, the parable, concluded it and pushed it beyond the parable. Because he's concluding the parable, but he's also now saying that I have a banquet. And are you going to be at it? The warning is clear. If you reject God's invitation in life, you'll be rejected by God in eternity. For many of us, when we hear this parable, our minds might immediately go to those who we categorize as great sinners who really don't bother with the gospel, people who are really not like us. But I think the heart of this parable is speaking to the religious. It's speaking to those of us who have been in church all of our lives. It's speaking to those of us who have all the answers. It's speaking to those of us who have served well. And I think it begins even by speaking to people like me, pastors, who week in and week out serve the people. And how easy it is to do it for the wrong motives. How easy it is to do it for the accolades and the appreciation. How easy it is to do it for the money. How easy it is to do it for the popularity. And yet at the end of the day, you go home and you lie your head on the pillow 
and you realize you've never embraced Christ for yourself? Loved ones, I have known men in the ministry who have preached to their congregations for 15 and 20 years and only then come to faith in Jesus Christ. I think it applies to elders and deacons, not just here, but in all churches. Those who are seen by the people to be those who are good, holy, lovers of God. They serve well. They know all the right things to say. They know all the right things to do. But even in elders and deacons can be religious, but not have a relationship with God. And so Jesus says to them, come, the banquet is ready. Salvation is for you. Have you accepted the invitation to my banquet? I think it implies, applies to all of us who have attended church all of our life. Some of you have not known anything else but church. You've been born basically in the church. You've been raised in the church. You've gone to Sunday school. You've gone to youth group. You've gone to men's studies. You've gone to women's studies. Your father was a Christian. Your mother was a Christian. Your grandparents were Christians. And somehow you just slide into it. And you think, I'm in. By virtue of the fact of my relationships and my good attendance and my great service. Loved ones, this is a critical parable that Jesus speaks to make sure that you've come to the banquet through the cross. To make sure that you know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of your life. To make sure that you know that your sins are forgiven. Loved ones, this is a warning to be heeded by you and I who come here week in and week out. But there's also here something, I think, which is beautiful. It's an invitation to be accepted. This parable does ooze with grace. And I hope you see that here. It illustrates the grandness of God. It illustrates the greatness of the banquet. Many are, 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 are invited. And when the first lot who get the invitation refuse, then the, the banquet owner just doesn't give up and say, well, let's give the food to the dogs. He says, no, we've got to fill the seats at this place. So go out to the streets and the lanes, to the city, to the poor, to the crippled, to the blind, to the lame, to those who are impacted by the real consequences of sin and invite them into the kingdom. Those who have never heard the gospel, those who aren't familiar with Christian things, those who, when we say, songs like this can't sing because they've never heard them. They don't know the words. They don't know the songs. They don't know the content. And I worry sometimes if in North American culture, we haven't made the things of Christ out of reach. We've said, well, this is the bar. And once you reach this bar, then you can come in. But I think what Jesus is saying here is, no, there's no bar that has to be reached before you're acceptable to Christ. The invitation is to all. Some might say, but I'm not the religious type. Good. Good. You're not being invited to embrace a religion. You're being invited to embrace a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Some of you might say, but you don't know anything about me. You don't know my life. You don't know how I've lived. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know what goes on in my head. If you did know that, that that invitation that you're offering, it's a joke. Because nobody would ever accept me. Nobody would ever want me to be part of their banquet. The invitation is real. 
And I think, in part, and I'm going to get to this, that is why we are to go out and compel people and bring them in. Because some people have never been loved. Some people think they're not lovable. Some people think they've done stuff that is far too wrong for them ever to be accepted by Christ. And we have to convince them that the offer is real, that grace is real, that the banquet is real. And that's where we have a mission to embrace. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that one of my prayers for this church is that we increasingly become an evangelizing church. And as we become an evangelizing church, more and more people will come into the kingdom of God because of the message of the gospel. But that will require that we begin to change a little bit because our views will change of, of people and of, of circumstances and of, of the breadth of the gospel. And those in the kingdom... Uh, uh, those of us who are in the kingdom, we need to invite others. And as I think about these verses, I think sometimes that so much of Christian culture is, is driven by, by almost the wrong things. And uh, events are really good things in the church, but I think sometimes our events have become an excuse for us to be passive. I, I think, I was trying to think of an illustration, and forgive me because this might not be the best illustration, but um, many of you remember those little orange strips that used to go to the hardware store and you used to tack them in your workshop or in your kitchen and, and you'd, you'd pull them out and they would attract flies and flies would come along and stick to them. And so you'd, you'd have breadcrumbs around and flies would buzz around and Buddy Fly would be following another fly and by accident he'd hit this strip, but you'd catch him. And I think sometimes that's what we've thought about, about the gospel, that we'll just throw events and we'll just open the doors of the church and whoever happens to walk into the doors of the church and stick, well, then we've got them and, and, and they'll be Christians. And I don't mean to be mean, but that's, that's how I've operated so often. This parable is the exact opposite. Jesus is saying, they're not going to come to you. Why? Well, they've never heard of this stuff. They all think that, that nobody could ever love them. You need to go to them. And, and, and notice the words he says there. Go to them and bring them in. That's a little bit of a mild phrase, but, but what is, what it's simply them uh, saying there is, is, is you need to lead them to something. You need to introduce to the, them to something. We need to go to those who have been rejected by Christian people all of their life. Or we need to go to those who have been not part of the in-religious crowd. And we need to convince them gently but firmly that no, Jesus loves them. That no, they are acceptable to Christ. That yes, it doesn't matter what they can, what they have done. Their sins have been forgiven at the cross. We need to convince them gently that the gospel is for them. To patiently take away any excuses that they might have to think that the invitation Christ offers is a false invitation and a joke. We need to go out and bring them in. But then there's even a more forceful statement in verse 22 and he says go out and compel them to come in this is a lot stronger this is like friendly pressure this is to strongly urge and in some cases it even means to force and why would that be well just sort of on on one hand the last season we've just come through fire season and 
um, we certainly in the Okanagan, and I think it was Peachland, just near the end of the summer, uh, the fire was burning. It was getting close to houses. And so they actually went in and they ordered people out of their homes. They compelled them to leave. Why? Because there was imminent danger. And they had to convince them, no, the fire is just over the bluff. The wind is going this way. We've got to get you out because if we don't get you out now, we might not get you out. They had to compel them. And some people think, well, those are not serious things, so I'm going to stay here and fight it out. Well, in the same way with spiritual things, sometimes people say, well, nobody could ever love me. Nobody, nobody has ever taken an interest in me before. And you're telling me that this Jesus guy likes me? You're telling me that there is a, 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 a God out there who cares enough about me that he wants me to be part of his kingdom and part of his banquet? And sometimes we have to urge them And we have to compel them. And we have to say to them, no, this is true. No, this isn't a bogus invitation. No, God loves you. Yes, Jesus has provided a way for you. Come on, come with me. We need to compel them to come. We need to model Jesus. who said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening the prison to those who are bound. Loved ones, if we are going to give everybody in Oceanside an opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ, we have a mission to embrace. Oceanside is not going to come to us. We have to go to Oceanside. And we do it so that every seat at the banquet might be full. As we look at this parable, we realize that nobody can ever come to the banquet without an invitation. But no one will remain outside the banquet but by his deliberate choice to refuse the invitation. If you're here today and you're saved, it's because God has saved you. If you're here today and you are lost, it's because you have rejected him. Loved ones, there are lots of highways and byways. There are lots of corners and nooks and crannies in our community. May God help us to go out and bring people in and to compel them to come in so they, like we, can enjoy this great banquet that has been prepared for us by our King and our God.